0: Father, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you again that we can come together and we can declare your excellencies and praise your name. And I pray as we go into your word that you would grant us understanding and wisdom, Lord, and that uh, we would be responsive uh, and be those who who are changed, who are transformed, made more like your son Jesus. Bless your word as it goes out. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have stepped into the doors of a evangelical church lately, you might be quite surprised to see what goes on in the dark areas of those churches as the lights are down and the music blares and the pastor comes on behind his little chair and shares a little uh, bit with you for a couple minutes of biblical truth. You might be surprised at what happens In churches these days, as churches uh, desire to be filled with people, uh, they maybe desire people to get saved, whatever it might be, but desire to fill it. And most people don't want to hear God's word. They want to be entertained. They want to have something that will affect their life now, a Jesus that will be for them now. Well, the Apostle Paul shared in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus Christ is for this life only, we are of all men to be pitied. It's much more than just what God does in transforming someone here, but yet we're going to see that transformation only comes through the word of God from the God of the word by his spirit working in the yielded heart. Now we've been going through the book of Nehemiah and we have seen that the walls have been restored. They've been built up and now we're moving toward that section where the people are going to be restored and we're looking at How that is done, it's done through a yearning uh, for the word of God, a desire to be in it. It's done through the word being preached and then taught and explained, expounded upon. It's done through people responding, uh, being convicted and corrected, and then going out and obeying the Lord as we read part of that today. And so as I mentioned last week, I wanted to share a couple passages from the New Testament to supplement what we're looking at in Nehemiah, and Lord willing, we'll be back in nehemiah chapter 8 next week would you turn your bibles to 2 timothy 3 uh, 16 and 17 and this is one of those passages i consider it right to remind you i usually preach it every year it's been but it hasn't been since 2018 so it's been a while so hopefully we've had it on our hearts we've remembered it and today we'll get a, a a remembrance of it uh apostle peter would say i consider it right to remind you these things paul would talk about that too 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. And now I want to share the context here. Uh, in verse 2, we see the apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. And what do we know about Timothy? We know that scripture reveals that he was a native of Lystra and Derby. Those are in the province or the, the area of Galatia, uh, two little towns in that area. His mother was a Jew uh, the, by the name of Eunice. His grandmother was also Jewish and thought of. Her name is Lois. And they were both saved, as we'll see. And evidently his father was a Greek. Now, uh, he had not been circumcised until he journeyed with Paul, and thus that was an indication that he was probably educated in the Greek culture. Now, we also know from chapter 1 and chapter 3 that he was educated informally by his mother and his grandmother, from whom he had learned the truth concerning salvation through faith in Christ from the scriptures that were shared with him. And we, know, uh, we don't know when he exactly Timothy came to Christ, but it was most likely through his mother and grandmother. That's uh, what, it, what Paul implies in the passage right before we'll see today. But indeed, by the time the Apostle Paul had met him in Acts 16, he had already become a disciple of the Lord and was such a proven young man in the faith that the Apostle Paul wanted to take Timothy with him. Wanted to take him with him. Now, I don't know if we really remember or understand uh, the extent to which Timothy was useful to the Apostle Paul and how much he was a blessing to him. Paul speaks of him as a son in the Lord, a son in the faith, a true child. He speaks of him as his brother, his co-worker, fellow servant, fellow slave. Uh, he was with Paul in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, uh, Corinth, and in Ephesus in Rome. He's associated with Paul in the writing of uh, some of his epistles, as First and Second Thessalonians, Second Corinthians, Colossians, Philippians, and when Paul wrote Romans, Timothy was there as well. He was of great use to the Apostle Paul, as we see in, Philipp- in the Philippians, because he was willing and faithful to do whatever the Apostle Paul wanted him to do. He was faithful. Now, what do we know about the book of 2 Timothy? Well, as I've shared, uh, it was written by Paul to Timothy, likely sometime around 66-67 A.D. And now, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, chapter 116, he is imprisoned as a criminal. He's in chains. So this is not like his house arrest in Rome we see in the end of Acts. This was during Nero's great persecution, and apparently Paul understood that he was going to be executed soon. You understood that. Look, at, uh, look down a little farther, 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith in the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but all to all who have loved his appearing make every effort to come to me soon he's uh writing his last words to timothy and thus these are very very important now history puts the beheading at paul sometime between 66 and 67 a.d so it's very close to when this was written he shares inspired by the spirit that it's it's uh, it's done it's it's time it's time now the apostle paul's last words to his faithful child in the faith his beloved fellow bond servant the most important thing we're going to see is what paul wanted to tell timothy here that's the most important thing what he shares with him think about it if you are dying if you, i don't know if you ever thought about this what would you share with your family if you knew you were going to die you would share what is most important to you And the Apostle Paul is sharing what is most important to him. And we're going to see in context, there's all this stuff going on, Timothy, but you stay in the word of God. There's all these bad guys doing these things, but you stay in the things that you've learned. Stay in the word of God, Timothy. Preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. And so we have... uh, In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Timothy uh, Timothy is encouraged concerning his faith and calling. Uh, He is encouraged not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or Paul, his servant, but instead he is to retain the standard of sound words and guard the treasure that was entrusted to him in the midst of persecution. That's the word of God, by the way. In chapter 2, Timothy was encouraged to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, to entrust the word of God to faithful men who will teach others, to suffer hardship, to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Uh, And it's because of Christ that Paul suffers and endures. And although he's imprisoned, the word of God is not imprisoned. And he further encouraged Timothy in chapter 2 not to wrangle about words, but to be a workman in the word, unashamed, handling accurately God's truth. He was to avoid ungodly and, un- and worldly talk, un- talk that spreads like gangrene. And although a large house, and in a large house there are honorable things and dishonorable things, and he is exhorted to be a useful vessel uh, to the master, having fled youthful lusts and not being quarrelsome but gentle, correcting those. In opposition. And then we come to chapter 3 and we see the horrifying reality that difficult times will come. Let's read that together. This goes up to our passage, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But realize this that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You read that, you think, man, I can spot this guy a mile away, probably like Adolf Hitler or somebody, right? Well, notice what he says next. Holding to a form of godliness. There's an external goddess, although they have denied its power and avoid such men as these. There's going to be a messed up world with people who are totally self motivated, who hold a form of godliness. And guess what? These people are going to mess with believers, they're going to mess with the church. Notice what he says here. uh, For among them are those who enter into households, captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This implies they seem to be biblical or whatever it might be. They're in the word or whatever. They're learning, but they're never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And they're doing their wickedness and, and, and evil. And he says here, uh, and just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, we have those uh, we see uh, back in uh, Numbers, you know, in all Exodus. Those who opposed Moses, uh, they questioned his leadership. They 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 called him to the mat, and the Lord took care of them. By the way, uh, Janice opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected as regards as regards the faith, but they will not make any further progress, for their folly will become obvious to all as also that of those two came to be. And then he's going to say, but you, Timothy, he's going to remind him what you did and then what he should do. But you uh, followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And I love this statement. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. It's emphatic. Paul saying it emphatically. And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. but guess what? in contrast, evil men and impostors impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, you, however inside, instead of not like these wicked men, but you in contrast, Timothy. Uh, however, uh, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from where you've learned it. We're going to talk about the Word of God. Continue in the Word of God. And here's where you first heard it, Timothy. And from childhood, you have known the sacred writings uh, which are able to give you wisdom which leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and proper for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In contrast to the bad guys, Timothy, uh, continue in the things that you have learned. He's speaking of the word of God. Continue in that, Timothy, because things are going to get bad. It's going to get bad religiously. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Bad stuff. But you continue in the things that you have learned and so we come to our passage, which I just read. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. You see, because the, the world of the imposters and the unrighteous are going to say, this is what you need to follow Jesus. You need these things. And in, light, and in contrast to that, it's the word of God that builds you up. It's the word of God that equips you for everything. Timothy, you stay in that and within this exhortation that we have and then the exhortation to preach that word we have an explanation of the power of god's word coming from a powerful god to transform us to make us like jesus christ and so here we need to understand first of all from our passage the nature of the word of god because there's a lot of word of men by the way There's a lot of churches out there where these guys come out, they sit in their little stools, they give you a couple Bible verses, they say a few things, but there's no conviction of sin. There's no reproof. There's no correction. There's just a little biblical pep talk, which may be true, and people come out and say, hey, it was biblical. Well, was it really biblical? And that's what we're going to see today, because if God's word is coming forth, it's going to do something, it is profitable for something, and if that is not happening, then something is very wrong with the one who is bringing it forth to you. And so here, uh, take a look at it. Notice, first of all, the nature of God's word. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Like I said, we're going to see in Nehemiah that those, these chapters, 8 and 9 and further, are just, just laced with the truth of God's word being read. God's word coming forth. God's word is at the core of their restoration. And that's at the core of our restoration. If we are faltering, if we are troubled, if we are not doing well in our walk with Christ, if the walls are torn down, the bricks are all over, the debris is everywhere, God will rebuild you through his word if you're willing to allow it to happen. And like we saw last week, we saw very clearly that we need to be yearning for the pure milk of the word. And we'll see in Nehemiah 8 that they called Ezra to come bring them the word. They had the desire. And you're going to see, if you want to grow in Christ, you want to be changed, then you need to have the desire to get into a biblical church and get out of those terrible churches and get in the word of God, because that's the only way you're going to be changed So he says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable. And this is in contrast to evil men and imposters who proceed from bad to worse. But Timothy, but you, Timothy, stay in the things you've learned. You've heard them from childhood, the sacred writings, graphe, the, the word of God, which is able to give you the wisdom and knowledge to come to faith and salvation through Jesus Christ. Stay in that. And then he goes to say, all scripture. He's speaking of God's very word. The term scripture here is the Greek word graphe. It speaks of the written word. Uh, it's where we get our word graphite, which we have pencils made out of, right? Uh, it's speaking of the written word. And earlier we saw the sacred writings, they were the hieros uh, grammata. Uh, they were sacred. They were they were set apart. They're holy. They're from God. It's the word of God. It's the word of God, and so Scripture is the written word. It is the written word, and we're going to see that. Uh, God has brought his revelation to the place at the point of the end of the apostles, the foundation of the church, where it is through the written word that is builds up the body of Christ, that he is no longer speaking in many ways and many forced portions, Hebrews chapter 1, but he has completed that revelation through the apostles and prophets being the foundation of the church, and there it is sufficient, it is sufficient. Uh, we need to know and understand that it is the written word that is assured as God's word. It is God's very word. All scripture is inspired by God. This is a cognitive word. Theonoustos. Uh, it, it speaks of God and and, and uh, breathed. Breathed out by God. It's, it's God breathed literally from his mouth. It is his word word. It's not simply words on a page. God spoke this truth, and we'll see later on how he did that and how we have received this truth. It is God's word, and we need to remember that. When someone speaks to us, we need to understand who is speaking to us, and remember this is God's word uh, when we see the word scripture. All scripture, not some scripture, all scripture is inspired by God, or breathed out by God not some but all it is all literally God breathed we need to see that you need to know that right away you need to remember that this is God speaking to us through the written word of God and he uses his spirit to illumine and help us understand and teach us the word of God all scripture And again, as I mentioned, although he had spoken in many ways and many portions through the prophets, fathers and through the prophets, he has now spoken to us through his son, his son being the cornerstone, uh, the apostles and prophets being the rest of the foundation. We having everything we need now for life and godliness. Indeed, the Old Testament times we see that through the prophets his word was recorded. It was written. It was written. And we see uh, that Jesus uh, very clearly refers to all of the Old Testament as his word. Take a look at Luke 24. Take a look at Luke 24. Lord Jesus is going to say, first of all, all that is God's word. That is all the written word. Luke 24, 25. And this is Jesus risen from the dead on the road to Emmaus with those dejected disciples walking away. And he has veiled himself uh, from their understanding who he is, and he is sharing the word of God with them. And he said to them, chapter 24, verse 25 of Luke, and he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses... And with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in what? In all the scriptures. He began with the Old Testament, uh, Moses and the prophets, and it's called scripture, written word, the written word. We're going to see in Nehemiah that they asked Ezra to bring the word, the book of the lots, the written word, to bring it. Uh, look down at verse 32 of Luke 24. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? A little farther on, verse 44. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things that are written about me and the law of, of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's a slang way of saying the whole Old Testament, by the way. He's saying the whole thing. It says, it must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's amazing. God opened their minds, Lord Jesus. So you have all scripture here. you, you know, And it's interesting, all these scriptures rightly divided in their context point to Christ. I'm not saying that the the on page 643 points to Christ. I'm saying that the context of what was written from God's word points to Jesus Christ. It points to Christ. Let me share something from John 539. John uh, John records the Lord Jesus reproving the Jews... Because they thought they were saved by the Word and obeying it rather than by the God who is revealed in the Word, Jesus Christ, you see. And so in John five thirty nine he says, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is these that bear witness of me. The word in and of itself doesn't save anyone. The word obeyed in and of itself doesn't save anyone. Jesus Christ saves, and the word points to Jesus Christ. It reveals a sufficient God and Savior. It reveals what he has done for us, and it is God breathed. inspired by God. Absolutely includes the Old Testament, but it also includes New Testament scriptures. You say, wait a second. Some people would say, well, you know, it's only the Old Testament that are the, quote, scriptures, right? Well, no, that's totally wrong. Take a look back at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. 1 Timothy 5, 17. Because you'll have some that say, yeah, I believe that verse, but that's speaking of the Old Testament scriptures. Well, if you, that person is willing to listen, share the verses with them. If they're not, run away from them, okay? Okay. Um, 1 Timothy five seventeen. Let the elders who rule well be considered of a double honor. That's in context. It's double pay, uh, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, "You shall not muzzle the ox while it's threshing," and the labor is worthy of his wages. The last quote here is from the Gospel of Luke. It's from Luke, and Paul says the Scriptures say this. He's calling the Gospel of Luke Scriptures. And so take a look at 2 Peter chapter 3, because Peter is going to call Paul's writings scriptures. He's going to call them the written word. He's going to call that the written word. And we're going to see how God did that through mankind in a moment. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. Hey, why isn't God coming and bringing the judgment that he has promised for, for sin and sinners? Because he's patient and he's saving people. He's patient, not willing for any to perish, right? So regard that as patience, okay? And then he says here, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, there is now uh, an in- introduction on how people write the, wrote the word of God back in the foundational period, right? It's now, he said, the wisdom given to him wrote to you as also in all his letters, speaking in them these things which in some, are some things hard to understand and which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do the rest of the scriptures. He's including what Paul said. Paul's word is the scripture, right? From the wisdom given from God. And they distort it uh, to their own destruction. And so we have the written word of God. We have the faith delivered once for all to all the saints. The apostle Paul would share in First Corinthians 14, let him let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. First Corinthians fourteen uh, verse uh, thirty seven. And so then we have the Word of God, the Scriptures. It is God breathed. But but how did that happen? How did God speak his word and how did we receive it? And how did it get written down? How is this brought forth? How did this happen? We'll turn to Second Peter chapter one, and we don't have time to, to, to delineate this passage to go through it, but it's pretty straightforward. Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty. And the contrast here is the Apostle Peter saying, Hey, you know, I want to remind you of these things. He said, We've had some pretty incredible experiences in contrast to the bad guys with their phoning experiences. We actually saw the majestic glory. He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration, and they heard the the Father's voice. Tremendous. We had an experience, and it was a true one. It wasn't a phony baloney one like these guys are saying. It was an accurate experience of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. But he says, but you have the written word, more sure. We have the word, more sure, which you do well to heed, to pay attention. It's what you have is more sure than our true experience quite amazing and then he says but know this first of all verse 20 that no prophecy of what scripture written word is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will but men moved by the spirit spoke from god now you got the charismatics who take these things and they have their little meetings and they feel like god is speaking through them and god's not speaking through them at all Because we have the completed word of God. There was a time in which God did speak through those whom he appointed to bring forth his word. But we have the completed word. We're going to see in our passage that what we have in the scriptures completed is adequate for every good work. Which means those things that people would say are from God afterwards are not from God. They are not from God. Now they may be uh, somewhat like it or, or similar to the word of God, but it is not the word of God. It is not the Word of God. So we have men moved by the Spirit of God, spoke from God. The written Word of God is not men's desires. It never was brought about by an act of human will. That No one thought, I'm going to write this down, and it didn't come forth the way God spoke through them. It is God's very Word. It is God-breathed. It is God-breathed. So then, men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke his word, and all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture. He doesn't say all scripture and prophecies at this point. You had uh, the infant church where God was transitioning from the Jews to the Gentiles, his movement of salvation. You had the infant church where it was being built up, and it was incomplete, And there were prophecies, and there were those things in the beginning of the church. But that has, you know, if there are prophecies, like 1 Corinthians 13, they will be done away, replaced by something superior. When the complete comes, the mature comes, the word of God. And so we have that now. We have all scripture. And so then uh, we see what God's word is. It's God's very word. And Paul praised the Lord for the Thessalonians, because when he spoke the word to them, they received it for what it really was second 1 Thessalonians 2:13 the word of god not the word of men but the word of god which performs its work in you who believe and by the way if you say or someone else says i believe this part but i don't believe that's god's word i don't you know uh, paul is too harsh he's a misogynist He's very harsh on women, or whatever they might say, but I love what Jesus says. That's probably God's word. If you hear that, something is very, 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 very wrong. Because Jesus makes it clear. The Lord Jesus Himself makes it clear uh, in His Word. Uh, Take a look at uh, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Now, these people need the Lord. They need the Lord, Um, they need to be saved. And if we hear that, we understand more clearly where they're at, by the way. Um, you know, that's why we don't need to argue. You never need to argue about creation and evolution with someone who's saved. You, know, you, just, you never need to argue, because when you get saved, you go, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I believe God created the earth. I'm not believing in evolution. I believe God created it. Or if they had an evolutionary mind, if someone shows them the word of God and they're believers, they go, oh, yeah, that's it. I believe it. Because, as Jesus says, my sheep here my voice, and it is his voice through the written word of God. Uh, John chapter uh, ten, verse twenty five. Then Jesus said to them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not my of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My sheep hear my voice. If you are the Lord's sheep, you hear his voice through the word of God. Now we can be hardened to it, we can have sin in the way, but it's still his voice, it's still him speaking through his word, it is God breathed, and we do hear it, we do hear it. Um, and by the way, if someone says the apostles don't, that what they said isn't true, or what, I don't like what John says in 1 John, that can't be, uh, you're, you're, a, you're you're from, from hell if you, if you continually habitually sin, no, I don't agree with that. Well, if you don't agree with that, then you don't agree with God, and it's an evidence that something is wrong. Take a look at 1 John chapter 4. The apostle John is trying to encourage these believers because they had a defection. They had people who had left, and then they had false prophets. They had false teachers who were, who were sharing things from a different spirit, by the way. And so he's going to tell them, hey, this is how you can identify. He's going to talk about that. And within that, we gain a principle here. 1 John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, the bad guys, okay? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen, right? Um, and he says here, they are from the world, Therefore, they speak as from the world. That's the false prophets, by the way. And the world listens to them. There you go. Hey, you want to know why some churches are so huge? Uh, A lot of times it's not because of the word of God. We've had revivals. We've had restorations where it is the word of God. Praise the Lord for that. But that's few and far between these days. We pray for it. We pray that God might do that again where people want to hear his word. But the reason why many churches are so huge is because they're the world and they love it. And worldly men speak as from the world, and they love it, and they hear it. Notice what he says here. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We, John is including himself with the apostles who built the foundation of the church. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. You see, if you know the Lord, you hear the word of God. You hear John writing in First John, and it's God's word. You hear Paul in Ephesians, and it's God's word. You hear Peter in 1 Peter, and it's God's word. You hear Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's God's word. You hear Luke in the book of Acts, writing, inspired by spirit, it's God's word. And so here, he says, notice this, and he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of air. We know the spirit behind the spirit of truth and the spirit of air. If you listen to the word of God, you accept it as the word of God, that's, that's the truth. That's, you, you have the right spirit and you have God's spirit, right? You're his sheep. If you don't, now we know. Now we know where you're from. Okay, so it is God-breathed. It is God's word. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. It is the very word of God. All scripture is literally God-breathed literally God breathed, God spoke it. And now we need to understand it in its context. Like I shared in Nehemiah, the, the Levites are going to come out and they're going to explain and interpret the word of God so that people can understand it. They can understand it. We're going to see that. And God uses teachers to teach by his spirit, as we'll see in First John, the spirit of God, our, our teacher ultimately. So then all scripture is literally God breathed. Every word in scripture is God's Word. I can say this now, it, right? That's Greg's word, right? I just said it. But I didn't say anything complete. You don't know what it means. But if I was to say, it is a very good day, you would understand Greg's word in its context. God's word comes in its context. We are made in his image. He speaks to us through his word, and it is in context. Is in context, and it is not up to us to figure out what it means. But His Spirit enables us to understand what He intended with His word. Like we saw in First Peter, know uh, this first of all. No prophecy of Scripture is of one's own interpretation. I can't sit and figure out what I think it means. It's no, it's what we want to know what God intended. He said, but men moved by the Spirit, uh, uh, one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. So we have all scripture is inspired by God. And now notice back in our passage, 2 Timothy, we have a list of things that God's word is beneficial for. And this is important because it helps us understand what he does with his word in our lives. What he does through his word, because this is him telling us what he does. This is God telling us what he does, and it's very important that we see this and understand. All scripture is inspired by God, first point, and then all scripture is inspired by God, and profitable, profitable. You think of the term profitable. Someone says, that's a profitable business. That means they're profiting. What they're doing is beneficial in a sense. They're they're gaining by it in a sense, right? Well, all scripture is profitable. This word, aphalemos, means helpful means beneficial, it it, it speaks of that which yields advantageous results. That which yields advantageous results. It's profitable. It yields advantageous results. So all scripture yields advantageous results. Praise the Lord for that. Scripture is not only God's word from his very mouth, but it yields that which is advantageous to us. It is helpful and beneficial to us. So many Christians uh, seeking uh, that which is spiritually profitable, they think, but it is God's word that is profitable. It is God's word by his spirit that is profitable. Where do you go for your spiritual needs? Do you go to God through his word? Now, we don't worship the word like the Pharisees. We don't think in them as eternal life. We know it points to Jesus Christ. God's word points us to rely on Jesus. God's word points us to understand his desire for me in every circumstance. God's word points to Jesus. And so we see here, God's word is profitable. It's profitable. It yields advantageous results. And then notice in our passage, there are four specific areas that he shares these specific advantageous results. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for... For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, uh, there are some versions that uh, do a little uh, snipping of God's word and cut out a few words. You may have a version that just says for, for um, teaching, and then just says teaching, reproof, correction, training righteousness. If you have that, add the fours in. That is in the word of God. It literally says all scripture is pros, towards. Each one, pros, this, pros, that, pros, this, pros, that. Four things. Distinctly advantageous in an equal manner on each one of these things. Advantageous for this, pros, unto, pros, unto this, pros, unto this, pros, unto this. I think it's the NIV that cuts that out and tries to streamline it line it, but uh, here we see the NASB gives it, it correct translation here. It is advantageous for all these things. For, 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 right? So what's it advantageous for? Right? Notice first of all, it is profitable unto, towards, that's really the the word, you know, for, is how it's translated, but it's profitable unto this, towards this. That's the preposition in Greek. Towards, pros, towards this. And the first one is teaching. All scripture is beneficial, yields advantageous results for teaching, right? And the term teaching, didaskalia, it means that which is taught, that which is taught, that which is taught. It's often translated doctrine, doctrine, often translated doctrine. It simply means when you hear this term doctrine, don't get all caught up and think it's some fancy church word, It simply means that which is taught. That which is taught. It's doctrine. Uh, It speaks of instruction. Romans 15, for whatever was written in early times was written for our instruction. And there's our word, doctrine. It's even translated instruction. That which is taught. It was written for doctrine. You go, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. No, it was written for that which we are taught. It was written so that we would be taught it, right? Uh, that, through the perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope romans fifteen four the scripture is where we find our instruction. It is this is why I go crazy when I hear these shows on TV about marriage problems, kid problems, all these Christian shows, and they don 't share the word of God, drives me nuts because this is what is profitable to be taught it's the word of god that is profitable for us in those things it is the word of god all scripture written word written word is profitable for teaching it's profitable for our instruction now we need to remember that that's the word of god rightly divided because there are doctrines of men teachings of men there are doctrines of demons teachings of demons uh, there are uh, sound, healthy doctrine, like we see. And there is unsound, unhealthy doctrine. It's, it's, it's the teaching that is, that is not brought forth rightly. It is not accurate. It is unhealthy. It is unsound, right? So, but here it's speaking of teaching brought forth rightly, brought forth rightly. You see, there's a lot of wicked teaching out there, doctrines of demons, man, taught through, taught as though they're actually the doctrines of God, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 15. Bad guys come out, teach it as though it's God's teaching, but it's not. It's not. you got to be careful. You need to be a Berean. You need to check into it, see that it's so. You know, you need to be yielded. If you've got sin in your life and you're coming to the word with a wrong desire, you'll get taken. If you come to God and the word for your own desire to fix you up for your will only, not, not to be what he wants you to be, then you're going to get taken for a ride, by the way. You're taken for a ride. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Ah, 1 Timothy actually 4. Look at that. Go back to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. But the spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. That, that means they were identifying with, the, with those who trust in Jesus, the faith, right? They, they identify, but they're going to fall away from the faith. And notice what happens here. Fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. You know what? Don't pay attention to that stuff. You're gonna it's going to take you on a ride you don't want to go on. Deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons. Now he's going to explain what some of these doctrines of demons are. You'd think they're talking about uh, witchcraft and, uh, and satan- Satanism. Well, no. Look at what he says here. It's satanic, but it's much more, uh, much more um, deceitful. Uh, he says, By means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience with a, as a branding iron, men who forbid marriage advocate abstaining from foods, Doctrines of demons. You, if you don't get married, you're going to be more holy. You, if you eat certain foods, you're going to be more holy. You're going to be like Jesus. You know, there's this certain diet. It's, the, it's what Ezekiel used. Do that. You're going to be more holy if you do that. Now, if you want to eat Ezekiel bread and whatever it is, have at it. The Lord says all, it's, it's all good, okay? But if you think you're going to be more holy through that, that is a doctrine of demons that is a doctrine of demons and these people shipwreck their faith notice what he says advocate abstaining from foods for which god has gratefully shared uh, has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth for everything created by god is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by the means of the word of god and prayer in pointing out these things, that's the doctrines of demons, to the brethren, you, Timothy, that's who he's talking to, will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and sound doctrine which you've been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. You know, watch out. When you get older, the temptation to try and take care of your physical ails leads you into these wicked areas so the doctrines of demons, this natural stuff. You know, I'm not talking about natural things in general. I'm talking about the, the natural philosophies that come in behind these things that are doctrines of demons. Stay away from them. Okay, so back to what we're saying. There are sound doctrine and there is uh, unhealthy doctrine. And there's also those who twist the scriptures. Take a look at uh, third, uh, Second Peter chapter 3. He talks about the un i 'll just share this He talks about the untaught and unstable who distort the scriptures as they do the rest to the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing beforehand, be on guard, uh, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. to him be the glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There's bad doctrine out there. But there's sound doctrine from God's word. And that's what we are to be taught. God's word, the scriptures, are profitable. Profitable. You see, those doctrines of demons, it doesn't say anywhere in scripture, you should eat this and not eat that. It doesn't say that. God's word says, hey, give God thanks and enjoy it, right? See, it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer, right? So sound doctrine comes from the word of God. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for that which is taught. That should be the center of all of our teaching, everything we do. All scripture is beneficial to teach us, to teach us. It is the framework for which we are taught. One more passage I want to share. is Just right past our passage, 2 Timothy 4. I solemnly charge you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's sound teaching. It's healthy teaching from the word of God, Right, right? They can't endure it, but wanting to have their ears tickled they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Or you could say stories. You know, turn aside. you going to turn aside. That's because they can't endure healthy teaching, that which is taught. So first of all, it is profitable for that which is taught. And then notice it's also profitable for something else. All scripture is inspired by God back in 2 Timothy 3.16. And profitable for teaching. And then for reproof. It's profitable for reproof. Uh, That implies that we need to be reproved, by the way. We're going to see every one of these things. We need to be taught. We need to be reproved. We need to be corrected. We need to be trained in righteousness. And this one here, the second one, is profitable for reproof. For pros elegmon. The term elegmon speaks of bringing to light. Bring to light, exposing or setting forth. You see, Scripture is beneficial, all of it, to pr- reprove us, to, to bring to light, to bring to light, to convict us, as we will see, of sin, to convict us. It's profitable to bring to light, to expose our sinfulness. And as we'll see, it's the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, that convicts us, that reproves us. It's actually the same word uh, used uh, in John sixteen eight, And when he comes, speaking of the spirit, he will convict or literally reprove, bring to light uh, the world concerning righteousness, and sin, righteousness, and judgment. The spirit of God convicting, bringing to light, bringing to light. The apostle Paul told Titus uh, to reprove with all authority. These things, are, things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And he just spoke about, hey, how should we function within old men, young, young old women, younger men, younger women? How they function? Uh, Workers? How we to function in in the body of Christ? Don't let anyone tell you uh, not to say this, to speak this. Speak it with authority and reprove with all authority, with all authority. You see, we need to be reproved. I need to be reproved. You need to be reproved. Uh, we still have these bodies of flesh. We still have our sinful desires that creep up on us. We have Satan who tempts us. And we need to be reproved to, to, to see uh, that we're not thinking rightly, that we're not doing rightly, whatever it might be. We need to be reproved. And those who are being reproved are those who want to be reproved, by the way. You look in Proverbs, and we'll look at some passages later on, uh, those who are the lords are the ones who are being reproved. They don't Put it aside. They don't push it aside. They actually they want to be reproved. It's the same word we have in Matthew eighteen: "If your brother sins, go and reprove him in in private." It means to expose it, to bring it to light. But how do you bring it to light with the scriptures? All scripture is profitable for reproof. It's the word of God through the Spirit of God through God doing that that reproves us. That's what happens. That's what happens. And notice, uh, actually, turn to, uh, there's a myriad of passages I could speak of uh, in reproof, but let's turn to Proverbs chapter 1 for a minute. Proverbs chapter 1. Oh, boy, I'm only on page 8, and we're (laughs) moving along here. Okay, (laughs) hope you brought a snack. (laughs) All right, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22. How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. This is God, through his word and wisdom, offering something. Turn to my reproof. Turn. Let, Let God reprove you with his word. Turn to God's reproof. He says, Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you. Isn't that great? Have the right attitude. Turn to God. Let him reprove you, okay? Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand, and no one paid attention You neglected all my counsel, did not want my reproof. You could tell if you want your reproof by what church you go to, by the way. I'll tell you that right now. By what you listen to in the word and who you're being taught by is going to tell you if you want it or not. Um, It says here, and did not want my reproof, rejected my counsel. I will laugh even at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm, your calamity comes like a whirl. And when distress and anguish come on you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. If you're not wanting to hear what God says about your life, convicting you of sin, uh, if you don't want to hear it, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay down the road, and it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be very bad, as we see here. A lot of other passages about reproof. Look at Proverbs 3.11. And I'll I'll just read these. There's a lot of them. You can either turn to them if you want or you can just listen and note down the the references. Proverbs 3.11. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. You know, he, he reproves us. Proverbs 5.11. And you groan at your latter end and your flesh and body are consumed and you say how I hated instruction, how I spurned reproof. You get to that point where you realize, man, because I didn't let God correct, reprove me, and correct me, I'm in the spot I'm in. Not good, not good. Proverbs twenty-nine, one: A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. Proverbs ten, seventeen: He who is on the path of life heeds instruction, but he who forsakes reproof goes astray. Proverbs. Uh, 12:1 Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge but he who hates reproof is stupid. And God says that. Proverbs 13:18 Poverty and shame will come to he who neglects discipline and he who regards reproof will be honored. Proverbs 15:10 Stern discipline is for him who forsakes the way he who hates reproof will die. Proverbs 15:31 He whose ears listen he whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Proverbs 1532, he who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. It's God's word that brings reproof. It's God's word that is profitable, beneficial for it. And as I mentioned earlier, 2 Timothy 4 2, preach the word, be ready in season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great impatience and instruction. If you are not hearing that in the preaching of the word, Either you have a hard heart, you're not hearing it, or it's not being brought forth. God's word should reprove you. It should reprove you, and it should come through the preaching of the word. It should be exposing sin. And by the way, your choice of church reveals how you respond to reproof. If you choose the little 26-minute happy time Jesus sermon um, that says that's biblical, it's showing where your heart is towards reproof. It's showing where it is. Um, you need to be in the Word of God where God's Word is reproving you, where it's, it's exposing. It's exposing. Now, given, being exposed isn't that fun. I don't think any of us like being reproved. If you've ever had someone come to you to reprove you something, not biblically speaking, but something that's going to say, hey, you know, we don't like that. We don't like in our nature being reproved, but we need to learn to love it because it's the first step in being made right with the Lord, you see? Because God has to expose the sin. But then notice what he does in our passage. All scriptures inspired by God are for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. You see, correction is God's provision for those who accept his reproof. You see, if you accept him exposing your wrong, then he will correct you. The word is a Greek word. It's a wonderful word. It's a three parts here, anathorosin, and, or epi, ana, orthoros, and epi is upon, ona is again, orthoro is to make straight. We get orthopedics from that. The idea is to set up something straight again. It spoke of things that were knocked over, that were set up straight again. It spoke of a broken bone that was set straight again. It's correction. It's, it's something that was wrong, that was made right. You see, in all scripture is profitable for this. It's profitable to make straight Again isn't that great cuz we become unstraight we become spiritually broken at times and God exposes our sin but he doesn't leave us in that pit of conviction it should move to correction to to change us to transform us to make us more like Jesus you see God makes us straight again through his word and his correction is the provision for those who will accept his reproof. His word approves, his word corrects, it's that which is taught. And then notice, it's also profitable for training in righteousness. The fourth thing, training in righteousness. The word training, paideia, comes from the Greek word pais, which, pais, which means child. Paido was the original Greek word for children. It's where we get our word pediatrics. Um Padea means to educate. Pedagogy means to educate children. It speaks of the process of rearing and bringing a child to maturity through training, instruction, and correction. The process of uh, rearing and bringing a child to maturity through training, instruction, and correction. It's the same word often used uh, in Hebrews for the word discipline. God disciplines the ones he loves. He trains us. And that training is that which is profitable for us. It's beneficial, right? God's word brings it about, but it's what we're going to see. It's profitable. So God's word is profitable for training all scripture. Training in what? Righteousness. Righteousness. Righteousness is a characteristic and quality of our God. Our God is righteous. Our God is upright. Our God is holy. And we, before we came to Christ, were unrighteous. And when we were saved, God gave us his positional righteousness in Christ. We were forgiven of our sins. But he wants us now to walk differently, to walk in righteousness, to hunger and thirst for his righteousness, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, to respond righteously. And we learn what that is in his word because it reveals what his righteousness is in every circumstance that we need to understand and no. And it is profitable for righteous, for training you and you and you and me in how to be righteous in every circumstance. Not that we're going to get there in this life, but we're going to get more and more like Christ. We're going to grow for training. We're children in the faith, and we are growing and being trained in righteousness. God is gracious, and we see this righteousness in, 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 in what God does through his word. He does it through his word, John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus prayed. Thy word is truth. Set them apart from sin unto him, unto righteous behavior, righteousness. Second, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Then that same grace is instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. God, through his word, is instructing us now to do this, to live righteously, live righteously. And God's word, all scripture, is profitable to train you and to train me in righteousness. It's training, I'm being, I'm being trained like a child. You know, when a child gets trained in their childhood, you see the fruit of that later in their life, if they're responsive, you see a change in them. And if we allow God, our our heavenly father, to train us, there's going to be a change in our lives. We're going to be more and more like Jesus. And it is through God's word alone that trains us in righteousness. Trains us in righteousness. And like we see in the discipline of Hebrews chapter 12, uh, this training in the gym of God's discipline brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness. If you are living in sin, it's not, you don't have peace. Okay, If you've got sin going on, you don't got peace. If you are letting God train you and He is manifesting His character in you, you're becoming more and more righteous. There's a peaceful fruit in that. When you don't uh, uh, respond wrongly in sin, but God restrains you and helps you respond rightly, there's a peace in that. There's a peaceful fruit in righteousness. There's a peaceful fruit in Him using His Word to change us to be more like His Son Jesus. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. But it's a process. And that process is over this life. It's called sanctification, and God uses his word, and it's a wonderful thing. Yes, I don't like being reproved, but I do like it because I want to be corrected. I want to be changed. I want to be, like the Proverbs says, reproofs for the way of life. Reproofs for the way of life, right? So God corrects, and then he trains. And then notice there's a purpose here. There's a purpose, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for good. Good work. He's going to qualify it. God's man. God's man or woman. The man of God. This is a believer. This is not a non believer. Scripture doesn't equip any non believers to anything. Scripture convicts of their sin that they might trust in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But for us, the man of God, and I believe he's insinuating Timothy, you man of God, he said that earlier. The man of God. He's talking to Timothy, right? That the man of God, and it could speak of us, right? In Christ, right? You bet that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The term may be um, here is is the purpose. It's the purpose. That all it's proper for all these things unto this purpose, that you may be literally continually, habitually adequate. The term means sufficient for the task at hand. Sufficient. That you may be continually adequate. Continually adequate. And then it says in a perfect tense, having been equipped. Having been equipped in the past and that equipping is working on you now so that you are sufficient. God's word equips us. The term equip here spoke of a fully furnished uh, rescue boat. Everything it needed to do the task. And so God makes you continually habitually adequate. We're not adequate to consider anything that's coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. And if we allow his word to work in us, then we're going to be adequate, continually, habitually, having been equipped. And then what does he say? For what? For every good work. Is it adequate, equipped for my plans, my life? No, it's for every good work. God has us and has saved us to do good things. God's a good God. I'm not talking about goody two-shoes stuff. I'm talking about good works. Those are actions. Those are deeds that God brings forth in the life of a believer that glorify him. They will see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. You know, Ephesians chapter two talks about this. It says very clearly that we've been saved unto good works. We've been saved for by grace. You've been saved by faith and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And then he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship or his poem in a sense. Created in Christ Jesus for good works that we might walk into them. When we trust Christ, we walk into these good works. The good things he has purposed before the foundation of the earth for us to do. These good works. Tremendous, wonderful reality. You see, if I, we abide in him and his words in us, Jesus says in John 15, uh, ask whatever you wish, it shall be done. By this is my father's glorified that you bear much fruit so proved to be my disciples. But God uses his word to do that. So we need to be with a right heart in the word of God. We need to allow it to convict us, to correct us, to train us. And it needs to be that which we are being taught, that which we are being taught. So my question is, do you understand clearly what God's word does, what God's word is profitable for you may not notice this, but my sermons are centered around this. When I apply, I I, I apply what is c- convicting. I apply what is correcting. I apply what is training. I apply what is taught. Uh, those things, those applications come out of these profitability things, these things that God says it is profitable for. It's profitable for. So then how are you doing? How you doing? How do we grow in our relationship with Jesus? I'm not talking about just a uh, you know, a feel good thing talking about how do we grow in godliness and in our relationship with a with a holy God. It's through his word, all scripture, that is his very word to us by his spirit that he changes us and transforms us into the image of his son. And he does that through the teaching that which is taught. He does that by reproving us. He does that by correcting us, making us straight again. He does that by training us in righteousness that we that we would be sufficient all the time having been fully equipped. So are you equipped? Are you fully equipped? Are you ready? Are you sufficient in Christ? The question is, how is the word working in you? Well, maybe there are some of you who recognize, hey, this is totally foreign to me. Uh, I'm, I'm not anything like this. I don't like reproof. I don't feel like I've been corrected. I don't feel like I'm righteous at all. And maybe you aren't. Maybe examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, and God's word reveals a sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then for us, maybe we've we've strayed in our hearts. We've set aside God's word. We've got consumed by the things of this world and the things of the day. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus and let him reprove us, let him correct us. It's wonderful. And let him train us in righteousness that we would be continually adequate having been fully equipped. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Uh, It's just wonderful. It's wonderful. And I thank you for uh, this time and this day that we've heard it. And I pray you would use your spirit to convict our hearts that we would be willing to hear and be corrected then, Lord God, and trained in righteousness so that uh, you would be greatly glorified in our lives We thank you so much for this this time in your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.